lying in bed one night just uh, praying and asking the Lord, what does he really want me to say? Uh, not only in the last uh, two sessions, but uh, tonight as well. And I must admit, my thoughts went back to a man that uh, you will know very well and have heard the, the statement that he came out with, Martin Luther King Jr., when he said, I have a dream. I have a dream. And in Martin Luther's uh, speech to the American people, there was a, a person there, Michaela Jackson, who simply cried out, tell them about your dream, Martin. Tell them about your dream. And one of the things that I believe that we need often to do is to allow people to understand what our dream is. Often we just keep it to ourselves and then we sometimes, when it starts to unfold, we don't understand why people don't understand it. So tell them your dream. And I guess in part of that uh, speech, which excited most of the listeners, has now become the famous king described his dream for freedom. For freedom. That was his dream, to see his people coming out of slavery and into freedom. There was a young misfit by the, uh, by the name, or nickname Sparky, and he loved to dream. He loved to draw. And, and for Sparky, school was all but impossible. Absolutely impossible. He failed every subject up until year eight. In high school, he flunked physics, Latin, algebra, and English. Missed the whole lot. He didn't do any better at sport either, although he did at one stage get into the golf tournament, and unfortunately, he uh, lost the match on behalf of his team. That didn't make them either happy at all. Sparky was socially awkward, absolutely awkward. He was astonished if, if any of his classmates kind of said hello to him. He was astonished. And Davey, well, that was totally out of the question. No, no girl would ever want to go out with Sparky. Sparky was a loser, and he knew it. And they reinforced that to him every single day, you're a loser. You're a loser. Somehow he learned to roll with it and learned to be content, even with that type of outcry upon him. But drawing was so important to Sparky. He loved it. And he was proud of his artwork. Absolutely proud of his artwork. Here too he would gain such rejection as his drawing submissions would be turned down. Disney and even his yearbook refused to show it. More loss, more of a loser. Sparky decided to write his own story. It's a good way to do things sometimes. Write your story. A story that he told through cartoon form. And in these cartoons, he described himself a little boy who was a loser and a chronic underachiever. And that little boy in the cartoon who was so rejected again and again, is now worldwide renowned. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. The Peanuts comic strip helped Charlie Schultz go from mis misfit to sensation. Why? Because he had a dream. And nobody, nobody was going to take that dream away from him. So I've been asking through the weekend, what's your dream? What's your dream for the rest of 2018? 
and beyond, both personally but also as a church. Monty Roberts was the son of a, an itinerant uh, horse trainer who worked hard training horses uh, in many farms around, stables and ranches. His high school career was continually interrupted because of his work schedule and he had to be around the horses. He drew a diagram of 200 acre dream ranch detailing the locations and the, the buildings and the stables and the tracks and a 4,000 square house. A great deal of his heart went into this project at the school. He poured everything into the project. A few days later, <coughs> when he, after he placed his paper into the teacher, he received his paper back from his teacher with a large F written right across. When Monty asked for the reason for the F, the teacher responded, this is an unrealistic dream. <clears throat> it's unrealistic for a boy of your age to even think of the possibilities of owning what you think that you would like to. You haven't got any money. You have to buy land, you have to breed the stock and pay the stud fees and, and among other things, you just haven't got it. There's no way you could ever do it. The teacher went on to say, if you will rewrite your paper, I will consider remarking it for you. So Monty went home. And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he thought about it for the whole week. Eventually he came to the conclusion that he wouldn't change it at all. And so he handed it back into the teacher. And again, he came back with an F. Monty thought about a long and hard. And he informed his dream-stealing teacher, you can keep your F, I will keep my dream. <laughs> I love that. Why? Because Monty had a dream. He had a dream. What's your dream? What is it? You know, as we think about some of the trials and the and even the testings that we, that we go through from time to time in our lives, faced both personally but also as a church and in our personal lives, even in this year of 2008, often we become disheartened, feeling we have so little to offer and what lies ahead is so too much, too great for me to face. Sometimes that's how we feel. But I want to say to you today, God will use our dream no matter how small it is. No matter how little. And a big one if we do have. And he will use it in a great way for his kingdom. If you'll allow him to. If you'll allow him to. In Joel chapter 2 and verses 28 to 30 it says this. And it shall come to pass after, afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maiden servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. All of us dream of many at various times. Usually they, they are at night when we dream so well. Unless you do a lot of daydreaming, of course. But dreams can be an enormous hope. They can even be prophetic from time to time. It's really important to understand that God can speak to us through our dreams. It's one of the ways in which he speaks 
into our lives is through our dreams. We need to unpack those dreams. They also enable us in our creative thinking. People have often said to me, but I haven't got an imagination. Well, my answer to that is, do you have any negative thoughts? Oh, well, yeah, plenty of those. That's your imagination, but just on the opposite side. It's all part of our imagination. I'd go as far as to say that God is a big dreamer. A big dreamer. Because dreams create. They create great thinking in our lives. They tap into our memories. It also brings revelation into our lives as well. You only have to look around and see how creative God is. Look at the person beside you. Realise how creative he has to be. You see, he made you and me so differently, so unique. Take a look at your thumbs, for instance. There is not another thumbprint in all of history like yours. All of history. You are uniquely made in his image. Did you know that only really recently they discovered the whole DNA thing? It was only back in 1950 that they discovered DNA. If you go back into creation, you'll discover where God placed it in there for a purpose, for a reason. Scientists have just discovered it. Now, they are solving cold cases all around the world now because of that understanding of DNA in people's lives. But I want to say to you that that DNA, that spirit within us, God's DNA, is to, for us to accomplish the work of Jesus here on this earth. He places his DNA into our lives. When you allow God through Jesus, his spirit, into our lives, we then take on his DNA. There's a wonderful story way back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, where we find the account of Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal top of Mount Carmel, to choose whom they're going to serve. These are the words. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And in the next part of the verse it said, But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. You know, often in life that happens. When we are challenged to what we believe, often we're too afraid to stand up and say, I'm a Jesus person. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. But we sit there. Going back some weeks ago now, I had the opportunity of watching a, a DVD. And it was called, Do You Believe? And I thought, this looks interesting, let's watch it. <laughs> and a minister was confronted uh, what have we got up on the board there? Oh, that's all right. A, a, a minister was confronted as he was driving along and he stopped at the lights. And this older man, um, black American, had one of those big wooden crosses that he was dragging along. Dragging along. And he tapped on the window of the minister's car. And the minister wound his window down. It was raining. He said, do you believe? 
Yes, I do believe in the cross. And then he came out with this question, but why do you believe in the cross? Why do you believe in the cross? And he was thinking about, what am I going to do about that? Why do I believe in the cross? Those questions set off a chain of reaction, not only in the minister's own personal life, but throughout his congregation and the community as well. Why do you believe in the cross? What do you think the cross is all about for us as Christians, for those who don't believe in Jesus? That really challenged me. Because in Australia, it is so different to places that I've been and probably you've been, particularly for me, in Indonesia, where I spent a number of years in a church there. And watch people who have struggled coming out of worshipping false gods and being confronted by the cross. Being confronted by it. But here in the Western world, we have just so many false gods as what they do. Whether we like to believe it or not, we have got so many false gods. They're not as open and looking as evil as what we may think in Indonesia and other parts of the planet. But here in the Western world, we have things like the God of money. Unbelievable. Or materialism. One of the things that I've come across in my life in ministry is the God of power. And here Elijah challenges them all. If the false God of Baal is real, then serve him by calling down fire. Let's do it. Come on. Here's the challenge. Your God is real? Call down fire. They built the altars. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go to my God and we'll call down fire. The interesting part is that as you read through the scriptures and get a little bit of background on it, Baal was one of the, the gods of the sun. So you would imagine that if anything could come down and burn it up, all they have to do is go to the God of the sun, get a little bit hotter, burn up the, the altar. There we go. There's our God. But it says that, they, typed, that they, they just toiled all day. All day. They cut themselves. They, they danced. They screamed. They yelled. They did everything. And it got to the stage where Elijah started to make a little bit fun of them. You know, maybe he's gone on holiday. You know? In fact, one of the Hebrew words in there is maybe he's gone to the toilet. <laughs> did you know God's gone to the toilet? But that's one of the Hebrew understandings of that text. You know, sometimes we work and we work and we work for God. We even try to fit church and maybe devotions and prayer into our schedules. But I still feel this distance. Because I'm concentrating on working and doing. And that's what these ones were doing. Working at it. Working up a frenzy. Trying to get God to work, their God to work for them. I remember a song that we used to sing many years ago, I will serve no foreign God, nor any other treasure, for you are my heart's desire, the spirit without measure. Unto your name I will bring my sacrifice. And my word says I'm a living sacrifice. Better to be obedient sacrifice you know sometimes I need to sacrifice 
in my obedience under the law when it comes to my my walk with him, my walk with him. But I love the way Elijah, who knew God intimately, simply prayed to Yahweh, to God, who not only consumed his objects, but consumed theirs as well. That's what fire that will come and consume the altars that we have built up. The holy cows. I think you'll understand what I mean by that. You know, I've been in the churches where they try to move the communion table. Man. I've still got some of the knives in my bag. At one stage, I wanted to move the cross from the, from the centre where we had the baptistry and everything, just to one side. You thought I would have moved Jesus himself. <laughs> Man. There's, there's other things that we... And I, I know you guys as ministers who are going into different churches, your first thing is, what's the holy cows here? What am I not allowed to touch at the moment? You know? I did with the communion table, I did this every week. <laughs> I did that every week. And eventually people go, I like it there. Well, it's been getting there for the last five weeks. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to do that because we hang on to altars and God says, I want to burn them. I want to send the fire of my spirit and burn them up. So that's only you and me. That intimacy. We don't have to worry about the cows that are on the altars, as we say. You know, it's recorded that Elijah performed at least 16 miracles that we understand, or it's mentioned, that we know of. As a prophet, he was outspoken against religious leaders. He spoke into king's lives, even the, the possibility of death. Because if you said the wrong thing to a king, you could die. But he didn't. I wonder, I wonder how long has it been since our prophets have spoken out to our leaders? How long has it been that our prophets have spoken into our political scene? How long has it been since our that our that our, our prophets have spoken into prime ministers' lives or into the chief minister up here? Are we too afraid to die? Or is there another reason? You know, I've said for a number of years now that we need to unmuzzle the voice of the prophet. We've muzzled it for too long, folks. Those prophets who were who were who had the courage to speak out the truth and, and not of their own agendas, but the agenda of the Lord, of God. Not, the, not for the culture or, or the background of, of churches or anything like that, but to be able to go and say, thus saith the Lord, and know it's from God. It's amazing that we believe and even preach about the fivefold ministries. We all believe in them. We all understand that, yes, it's in Ephesians, the fivefold ministry. We allow the pastor 
to shepherd mostly. We allow the evangelist to preach. We certainly even like to recognize the teacher of that, of that office. And we even recognize that certain ones can be the apostles of, of, of the apostolic, if you like. But for some reason, we have muzzled the prophet. The one that speaks out the word of God. And I don't care whether we're Baptist or evangelical or whoever, whatever, or Californian. It doesn't matter. We need to unmuzzle the voice of God through the prophet. Now let me skip forward to the first picture that the Lord gave me. I've only got three and I'll keep them as short as I can. The Lord gave me a, a picture about Elijah and obviously biblical ascension into heaven. You see, Elijah now starts to mentor a young man by the name of Elisha. Keep that in mind, older one. It doesn't have to be older, but we need to be mentoring. And in 2 Kings 2, 9, it says, Tell me, this is Elijah speaking to Elisha, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Notice what Elisha's response is. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Whoa. Wow, boldness. Church, often we don't get because we don't ask big enough. I can clearly remember dreaming with some of the leaders of, of Cornerstone about having a building that would seat at least 500 people. We had nowhere near 500 people. That was 12 years ago. They kept dreaming. They kept believing. They weren't going to have people who were dream killers saying, that will never happen. That can't be a... You, you, you're over the top. Don't even think about it. No. They kept on dreaming. You know, I have an understanding right now is the time, it's the time of God's interventions. God's going to start to intervene into people's lives. He's going to start to intervene into churches and he's going to disrupt. We don't like that. I want to be comfortable, please. Don't interrupt me. I'm doing fine. God says, really? Let me show you. And he's going to interrupt the comfortableness, the comfort zones that we find ourselves in and he's going to break us forth. It's time to ask God for that double portion, that double anointing of the Spirit of God. Ministers, if there's anything that I can pray for you, it would be for that double anointing on your life. As you lead the people of God into a new season, into new things, into the interruption that God's going to cause for you. Does that mean all, all these people are going to leave church? That's not what I'm talking about. God's going to interrupt the comfort zone. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father. That is very much a, a, an honouring statement that he was saying. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak 
that had fallen from him and went back and stood the bank of the Jordan. It was at this very time that Elisha commenced his ministry. Elisha commenced his ministry. And from that day on, it's recorded that Elisha did double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. Because he was bold enough to say to Elijah, I want double. I need more than what I'm experiencing now. Wow. It's time to start asking for a double portion, a double anointing to be poured out on you personally, but also upon the congregation, upon your family. It's time to dream. The second picture that I had was the Lord showed me was that is at the center of it all. It's recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 1. And here we find the disciples gathering around Jesus and gathering them together. And he started to explain to them that he was leaving. He was leaving. And these disciples went into a bit of kind of depression in some ways, going, but, but Jesus, that we don't want you to do that. We've just got you back. Why would we want you to leave again? You know, they, they had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracles, from the turning of water into wine to the, to the raising of, of Lazarus from the dead. They'd seen it all. They saw him cleanse the lepers, open the eyes of the blind, heal the centurion daughter. And now Jesus is saying that he must go back to his father as his work on earth is complete. Just something that they didn't quite want to really you know, as they had received him back, their grief just started to be overcome by it. But then he gives them a command and a promise in verse 4. In chapter 1, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. You know, sometimes, church, we, we run around looking for experience this place and at that place when often Jesus is saying no, 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 stay right where you are. It might be hard at the moment. It may not even be what you're wanting to experience at the moment. But he's saying to someone, wait. Don't go. Where you are, I will bless you. Last year, a lady raced up to me at the end of the service that I was conducting to the altar call. I need to give you a hug and I want to thank you I've been praying for this for many years she said so many times Pastor Paul I just wanted to leave but the Lord said no stay and I'm so thankful that I was obedient to the voice or else I would have missed what God had planned for us Jesus said to him reminds them of what John the Baptist proclaimed when he saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away 
the sin of the world. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus quickly reminded them if he didn't return to his Father, then the Holy Spirit could not be poured out. And we often miss that. We often say, and I've had somebody say to me, even recently, Paul, you give all the glory to the Spirit. I said, no, I don't. But I said, the Spirit enables the glory to go to Jesus. Because that's what he's here for. To bring glory to Jesus and to the Father. But don't stop talking about what the work of the Spirit is. church where I was pastoring, pa uh, pastoring to ask my associate pastor to commence a series that would take over about 10 weeks to complete. I asked him to preach from Mark chapter 1 and commencing at verse 1 and go to verse 8. The problem was that he stopped at verse 7. He didn't go on to verse 8, which is, John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He didn't want to go there. I said to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? Uh, because I believe that we need to hear what this verse is saying. And uh, I was supposed to go on to the next part of, of a few verses later. So the next Sunday I simply said, I just want to continue from where our associate uh, finished and, and talk about verse 8. Wow. Holy Spirit just came and he rested with us like I hadn't seen for a long time. The fact is that Jesus said, greater things will you do when I return. Have you thought about that? Greater things will you do when I return to my Father. I don't know about you, but I find that really hard sometimes to get my head around. Greater things will In saying that those who believe him would do works that he did, Jesus was not saying that every Christian is going to walk on water. He didn't say that. He didn't say that all Christians are going to raise people from the dead like he did. The apostles in the book of Acts performed some miracles that were similar to Jesus' works. But even they did not walk on water and feed these great multitudes of people with a piece of bread and, and some fish. The Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people. We've got to understand that. Don't get jealous because, man, I get jealous of Pastor Bruce because he can move in the prophetic. I get upset because poor old Mel over there who's getting older than I ever thought would ever get there. and He knows how to teach the word. He's a greater pastor than I am. And this guy kind of says, What have I placed in your life to edify the body? You see, we're, we've all got different gifts, but we've got to work them together. Don't get jealous of somebody else's gift. Jesus said that not only would his followers do the same works, but they would do greater works than he. Again, this is not a a reference to the words being greater in power. That's not the reference. Jesus has raised Lazarus. 
who had been dead for four days in the tomb, which is a miracle in itself. Humanly speaking, not even the apostles did greater works than that. So what did Jesus mean that his followers would do greater? Greater works than he. Without doubt, the works of Jesus' followers would be greater in extent. Jesus' earthly ministry had, had been largely limited to Galilee and Judea. That's where he was limited to. His disciples, however, were going to extend his ministry to the uttermost parts of the, of the world, according to the Bible. We have just this year experienced the death of one of the greatest evangelists that we've seen in our era, Billy Graham. Without a doubt, one of my spiritual heroes, he preached to millions over lifetimes. In fact, I used to listen and listen and listen to the simplicity of the gospel through Billy Graham. I guess that's why I wanted to stay simple, because I think most people understand simplicity. But we also have the teachers who go deeper in a greater way, and I love them, bless them. What about Reinhard Bonnke? Preached to over two million people at a time. My understanding, I heard someone in the last, I think it might have been you, Daniel, telling me that in his last meeting, as he was handing over, they were expecting something like three million people to turn up. Jesus never did that. He preached to 5,000, maybe 10 if, if you put women and children together and all that type of thing. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, his followers numbered in the hundreds. Forty days later in response to preaching of the apostles, that number leapt to thousands. By the end of the Acts, the gospel had made it into Rome. While the disciples were not around at Jesus' resurrection, he made sure that they were here when they needed to hear this. Wait. To the uttermost parts of the earth. Why isn't, why aren't we able to do that? We can. Why are we waiting for the, the southern states to say, oh, they've got all the, 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 the bing bang and ding dang and all that type of stuff? You've got it. You've got the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Turn Jesus off. <laughs> but folks, when you look at a crowd like this, it took two in the in the Acts who said they turned the world upside down. There's more than two of us here. We can turn the world upside down. I believe revival is going to come through people that everybody else thinks will be impossible. You know, I believe that oh, if you get into a big church and they've got all the music and they've got all this and all that, revival's going to come through them. As I look at the revivals that have been around the world, they've started with a small group of people. And a lot of them have been women who have this ability to tap in to God. 
And I think I might have said this this morning, but I don't know where I would be without Anne, who is my prayer partner, who's my intercessor. And I know if I go into somewhere to preach and she can't come, she will be at home praying. And if she's with me in the service, I know right now she's praying. Hopefully listening to me, but I'm praying. Because we need that. We need the gifts to start to operate. And I believe it will come through a group of people that people are going to say, how did it start through you? With me? God's not interested in the Six says, and they six, and they asked Jesus, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel?" They still hadn't got it. They still hadn't got it. They hadn't quite grasped what Jesus was fully doing until Pentecost. But it also made His presence real. It then opened the door for the Spirit to ascend into earth, which made the spreading of the gospel so powerful, and His presence, the presence of Jesus so real because he brought the presence of Jesus thirdly it made our Lord's work complete, Jesus' work would not have been completed until he went back to the Father he said Lord I've completed my work in fact at the cross he said it is finished it's finished and fourthly it would open the door for the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead to come in as they watched him he was taken up and received him out of their sight. It was ten days later that the Holy Spirit came. He sent it upon them with fire, with power, and with authority. His promise was complete. Church, that same spirit that descended upon the disciples, those people back in the days of Pentecost, is the same spirit that descends upon us. How do I get refreshed in the spirit? Spirit to do his work. Stop hindering him. Stop putting him aside. Stop putting him on some agenda and just let him do his work that he's been here to do. So personally we have Elijah. He left his cloak and his double anointing. Then we have Jesus who left his spirit when he ascended. And then very quickly, very quickly, when his bride, that's us, the church, not the building, the building will stay, but we will go. We will be ascended into heaven. Now I know I might be stepping on some toes here because you might have different understandings of rapture and whether we go through the tribulation and all that type of thing. I, I'm one of those ones and I believe I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go through the tribulation. If I have to, I will. I'm sticking to my theology that, the Je that Jesus is going to ascend from heaven with a shout. And we're going to go to be with him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it wasn't so, don't you think I would have told you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
and I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Hear the words of Paul though. Look, the, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's not talking about Baptist either, by the way, or another denomination. That's called about the, the dead. And we are, who are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and to be with him forever. To be with him forever. Hallelujah. Have you ever tried to imagine what forever is? I can't. I remember somebody trying to tell me this. It's like a little bird that goes to a, a, a beach on the other side of the world, picks up a grain and brings it back to this side of the earth and drops it there and then goes back. And he goes back and forth and back until he's taken all the sand up from this huge big beach and he puts it on that one. And then he said, an eternity has just begun. We can't imagine what, what eternity is because you see, there is no time in eternity. We are governed by time, but Jesus is not. He lives in the now, the now. The question is, could be sleeping in bed together and one will be taken and the other one will be left. There'll be those who are sitting in church and there'll be those who are taken and I'm sorry, but there'll be those who will be left. I was watching a DVD called Left Behind with Nicholas Cage in it. It's a, a secular one. Has anybody seen the one with Nicholas Cage in it? Isn't it shocking? It's great. Love it. Absolutely <laughs> love it. Because all of a sudden, here's this secular telling us about the rapture, about Jesus coming again. And uh, Nicholas Page, a uh, Page, I should say, plays Raymond Steele, who's the pilot, one of the major players. If you've seen the books left behind, you'll understand. And there was a scene where his daughter Chloe, who had also been left behind, um, goes to the local church where her mother kept telling her about Jesus and you need to come to church and she used to get up, he, she'd get up and say, ah, mum, that's all rubbish. Don't want to hear about it. So she went to the local church only to find the pastor sitting in the front seat. <laughs> weeping. Weeping. And Chloe goes and tries to talk to him and her anger, in her anger, she gets up from him and walks out, starts to walk out. And the pastor grabs her and says, you need to believe what I'm saying. Listen to her reply. 
Why should I believe you? You didn't even believe your own sermon. I'm sure there are pastors who will be left behind because they haven't grasped hold of the importance of Jesus in their lives. Church, the good news is the bridegroom is coming to his church. The bad news is don't be left behind. Don't be left behind. Don't miss out on hearing the Messiah calling us to meet him in the clouds. So how can I be sure? How can I be sure I'll hear that? I remember my brother, who wasn't a Christian, or gone away from God, I should say, asked me one day when I was 11 years of age, will you hear the trumpet call call? I said, of course I will. <coughs> my parents are Christians, we're all Christians. And then he went on to explain and I rushed out of my bed into my mum and dad's room who were fast asleep and shook them. I said, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I was 11 years of age. How do we do that? Firstly, we need to be connected to the source. We need to be connected to the source, the source of life. And Jesus is the source of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not just a truth. He's the truth. And I want to say openly, and I'll say it anywhere, he's not just a way. He's the way. And no one, I don't care who they are, can never enter the kingdom of God unless we come through Jesus. Unless we understand what Jesus did at the cross, we'll never be able to say, I can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, the full line, we need to make Jesus the centre of our lives. The centre of our lives. He needs to be, and for those of us understand what I'm talking about. He needs to be the fire. He needs to be the fire. And he needs to be the wind in my sails. And if you allow the Spirit to blow into your sails, you will not stop one little bit. You will just take off. And you'll see things happen in life, in your life, and in the life of you allow the spirit to guide you, to empower you, to ignite you. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we come but in that powerful understanding of your Holy Spirit at work in each of our lives. Oh, and invade those ones who are saying, Lord, I want more of you. I'm not happy the way I'm going. I'm not satisfied with the, with the old wine that, that is so much dished out to me, wherever that might be. I want the new wine. Lord, I'm preparing this skin, this wine skin for you to fill it to overflowing. I don't want it to burst open. Lord, I'm prepared to change. 
better change. I'm prepared to even go back to your word, Lord, and to <clears throat> unfold it. Look at it. Don't just take what I'm saying as being gospel. Get back into the word. Search it out. Oh, Lord, will you allow the river to flow through this place even tonight? Holy Spirit, just come. Oh, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you touch somebody's life right now? Right now. Touch that person's life, Lord. Set them free. Set them free from religiosity. Lord, set, set that person free from the bondages of, of past experiences, of pain and hurt. Set them free, Lord. Only you can do that because you break the chains that bind us up. Oh, Holy Spirit. We honor Jesus tonight. We lift up the name of Jesus because that's the powerful name above all other names. One day, Lord, every knee's going to bow before you. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory of God. So Holy Spirit, continue to work among 